Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. It's an interesting thing to me that God uh, asks questions. We, we read this in the Bible over and again, God asking questions. You, the reason it's interesting to me is normally when you're asking a question, you're seeking an answer or you're looking for some new knowledge. And yet, of course, we know that God knows everything and he never needs to ask for anything. And yet he does. And I think part of the reason that he does this is that, and I've seen really wise people use the same thing. They'll ask questions of people, hoping that the people that are being asked the question will come to an understanding about themselves, about their own condition, about where they're at. And, and, and one of the first questions he asks man, mankind, not the first, but one of the first questions that he asks mankind is directed at a young man uh, named Cain. Cain is the son um, of Adam and, and Eve. And, and, and maybe you remember the question that uh, appears in Genesis 4. Um, Cain has a younger brother named Abel who raises livestock. And Cain is a farmer who raises grain. And they're both bringing offerings to God. And God finds Abel's offering uh, acceptable, like he, he, he loves it. And, and not so much for Cain. And so not long after, God asks Cain, where is your brother? Now, God already knows that Cain has killed his younger brother Abel in a fit of jealous rage. And yet God asks anyways, where is your brother? To which Cain replies, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Famous question. And, and God replies to this obvious lie with another question. What have you done? Meaning, what have you done with your brother? What have you done to your brother? And the point is this, that, that brotherhood mattered to God deeply then, and brotherhood matters to God now. Um, where is your brother? That, that question asked in a lonely field so long ago, still has a haunting quality to it. I think in part because of how much hurt and pain and division we see in our world and in our own country today. And, and I grew up um, as a child in, in, in Nairobi, Kenya. My parents were missionaries and I traveled the world from a, uh, from a young child and I've been traveling the world ever since and I've seen so much poverty and so much abuse of power and so much injustice in our world. So I think the question is more relevant than ever. Where is my brother? And better yet, who, who, is, who is my brother? And then am I my brother's keeper? Like, do I have any responsibility to my brother, whoever he is, or my sister, whoever she is? So in this final message in our series, Fail Proof, 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, faith is the foundation, we've learned that all the way through. To add to your faith goodness, these seven qualities, goodness, to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, add self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. And by the way, um, if you missed last week, we talked about this, and, and I think it could be important for somebody to go back and listen to that. And to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, here's our word for today, mutual affection, or the ESV says brotherly affection. And to mutual affection, love, our second word for today. So, um, mutual affection or brotherly kindness is Peter's uh, second to last virtue. 
The word he uses in the Greek word uh, is Philadelphia. And by the way, all these words are Greek words that have been translated into English. Uh, Philadelphia, as you know, is a, a, a city in our country, the city of brotherly love, right? But if you've seen or been around any of their fans and their sports teams, you can, especially if you're a Cowboys fan in the room today, you can know there's not a whole lot of brotherly love coming your way. Yes or no, right? Thank God for their sandwiches, though. Praise Jesus for them. Amen. Philly cheesesteak, everybody, right? Now, th- there were other words that Peter could have used to describe um, the same kind of a notion, but he chose Philadelphia, I believe, because it's a very personal word, mutual affection, brotherly kindness. It's, it, it's up close. It's, it's active. It's not a passive kind of love. Philadelphia assumes it, it, it not only asks, who's my brother, um, it insists I am my brother's keeper. Like, I have a responsibility. I have a part to play in the life of my brother. Uh, uh, Philadelphia gets involved. It, it comes near. And Peter says that, 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 that what's going to help us to elevate our faith to the extent that it becomes fail-proof is that we add uh, brotherly love. Because without it, without it, our faith can become a kind of passive thing, kind of in the background of our lives rather than as it's meant to be uh, active and in the forefront of our lives. So, so James, the, the little brother of Jesus, would write about this notion of an active faith. And so he says in James chapter 2, suppose, he paints this picture, suppose, notice the words here, suppose a brother or sister, like not, a, not, not somebody you've never met, not somebody far off, but Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, like it's obvious when you see them that they're cold. They don't have a coat, they don't have a, they don't have a blanket, and they don't have enough food. Now, now if one of you says to him, oh, go, I, I wish you well, hungry and frozen person, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, his obvious physical needs, what good is it? Implication here is what kind of what good is a kind of faith that is passive and doesn't take concrete steps to help when help is required when I see from a brother or sister that they're obviously in need? What good is a faith that does not respond to that? And, and, and what, he, what he's saying is that, that, that intentions, even, even really good intentions or even really well-intentioned words like this guy says here, they, they're fairly useless if, in, in fact, they don't involve and result in concrete action. Who is my brother? The, the, the Greeks um, thought of this word Philadelphia in biological terms, like like, like a matter of biology, like the love between actual brothers or, or siblings, the, the, the notion that, that blood is thicker than water. Like, we understand that. We, we understand it. But, but in the New Testament, the writers, they expand dramatically the meaning of Philadelphia. They, they don't just think of, of, of blood relatives, but they, they, they think of brothers and sisters um, that, 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 that includes anyone who has been saved by the shed blood of Jesus, right? So anybody who's, who's trusted Jesus becomes family. And so this, this notion of Philadelphia, including everybody in the family of God, uh, it, it expands uh, who my brother and sisters are exponentially. So the, now the question isn't just where is my brother or who is my brother or sister, but the better question is who is our father? 
Who is my father? Because if my father is God and your father is God, then that makes us family. Like, like we're not just a collection of strangers who gather here for an hour and five or sometimes an hour and 12. Come on, can I just be honest about it sometimes, right? right? Like just so if you're new here, this is your first time, it's probably going to be about an hour and eight. All right, all right. Right? We're not just a collection of people, strangers who gather and then leave. Like, we're family. Guys, on the line, you're, you're family, right? So, so if, if, if my father is God and your father is God, that makes us family. And if I love the father, John says, I will also love who the father loves. And more than anything, God loves his own children, all of them. Who is my father? Who is your father? Then that defines who my family is. And so when Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith brotherly love or mutual affection, he's saying that we have a bond and we are to strive for unity because we have a shared bloodline, the, the very blood of Jesus Christ that, that becomes thicker than anything that might divide us. So, so because Christ, um, by the Holy Spirit, indwells us through faith, through the divine nature, as we learned about in verse 4, right, we are joined then to a, a, a heavenly Father so that whatever makes us different could not possibly be greater than what we have in common. So, so Paul tries to unpack this notion of Philadelphia. He says in Romans 12, be devoted to one another in love. So that's a strong word, devoted, right? Because like I'm devoted to the Cowboys. I'm devoted to the Spurs. They let me down often. Come on. But I still love them. They're set up, right? I, they, in, my, in my mind, they're, they're the preeminent team, right? The teams. Like you guys have your lesser teams, but we have our teams. <laughs> it's not true. Our teams are lesser. <laughs> right? But, I'm, but, but, but we're to be devoted to, Right? And I want you to understand that when Paul and James and Peter, who, we, who we're reading today right now, when they're talking, they're, they're writing to church people, okay? Not, not, not people out in, in, in the world, right? But, but to church people. And, and, and Paul is saying in, to the church in Rome, we have this family type thing going on. And, and the literal translation is love one another with brotherly love. Be lovingly loving. That's what he's, that's what he's saying. Be devoted to one another like a family. Why is it important that we get this notion of family together? Because when you're part of a family, you don't have to earn your way in, right? You, you, you were born into your family, and so you belong because you were born into the family. It's not based on what you have. It's not based on what you don't have. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you've brushed your teeth or not worn deodorant. Come on, we all had siblings growing up, right? That one sibling that just wouldn't wear deodorant. Come on, amen, praise God for him. Uh, I'm not going to mention his name because he might be here, right? Anyways, right, your family just loves you. They may not like you. Come on. You may not like all your siblings, right, but you got to love them. Like, like, it's okay for me to say something bad about my siblings, but, but you best not talk about my brother. Come on, somebody, or I'll cut you. For Jesus. For, for Jesus. If you're new here. This is something that happens every now and then. It just takes over my body, and I have an inclination to flick out a knife. All right, so he says, back to the text, be devoted to one another in love. Then notice this. He takes it up another level. Honor one another above yourselves. Like above yourselves. Like, like we show honor, and what that means is we don't just love, but we show honor, which means we place a high value, a high estimation 
of one another. We honor, we don't dishonor. This is why we're adding to our faith brotherly love or mutual affection. We don't dishonor. So, so man, listen, I'm just going to say this and I'm going to move on. But if you're hanging around people who chronically love to dishonor other people, I want to be nice and say be patient, but I also want to say it might be time to create some space in between you and them. Because if, if there are people who are trying to divide and trying to harm and trying to be toxic and trying to sow discord, like, like I don't know about that. But, but I can tell you that uh, Proverbs 6 says that there are six things God hates, yet seven things he detests. That's, that's the first verse in that, that whole notion. And then it says, and the last one, that, that the last thing he hates is one who, dis, who sows discord among brothers. Like God, like God literally hates some things. Like, oh, God is love. Yes, but there are certain things he hates. And one of the things he hates is people who cause discord amongst the brothers. And, and our job is to love one another above ourselves. And sometimes Christians will make it a sport on social media to criticize others and other leaders and other pastors and other churches and other denominations and other preachers and whatever. And, and to sow discord amongst family and call it keeping a watchful eye on the church. And, and maybe there's some of that involved. But listen, Paul's instruction to me is to honor one another above myself. So, so God called me to be a, a shepherd, not a, not a sheriff, like seeking whom he may find fault in. Come on, somebody. If you're a sheriff, I love you. appreciate you being here. But Because here's the thing, because whatever, whatever divides us cannot be strong, possibly be stronger than what brings us together, because what brings us together is the love of Jesus Christ for us, right? And, and so if Jesus is living in me and Jesus is living in you, then what we have in common exceeds everything we don't. And come on, somebody, like our, right now our world is so divided, our country is so divided by all of these things. But at the end of the day, we could let that creep in inside of our hearts and in our side of our lives. But at the end of the day, we are family. I got all my brothers. We I say things and I just can't help but become a human jukebox. I can't, I can't help it. C- can I just say this? At the end of the day, do you know what happens at the end of the day? We don't become citizens of San Antonio or Texas or the U.S. We become citizens of heaven, all of us, for all eternity. All of us. All of us. So Philadelphia is to love what God loves. Agape, our next word, is to love as God does. Or put another way, the first is to love whom God loves. The other is to love in the way that God does. So who does God love, right? Who does God love? Find that out, and, and that's your brother. And oh, by the way, you're his keeper. You're her keeper. Make every effort to add to your faith mutual kindness. Love is our last word, the crowning one. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, who is famous for his fables, and in particular, um, the, the, the fable, the beauty, beauty and the Beast. Love as old as time, right? Come on. All the kids start singing now with me, right? When asked about the meaning of the fable, he said, the meaning is that unlovely things must be deeply loved before they become lovable. What, what, a, what an amazing thing. Unlovely things must be deeply loved before they become lovable. But he's not the first one to have said this. So long before him, Paul said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That, that unlovely things must be deeply loved before they become lovable. 
And that's what we find in God's love for us. Peter uses the word, the famous word now, agape. He wasn't famous before the New Testament was written. It wasn't famous at all. It wasn't one of the crowning words about love that the Greeks had. It became so because of the writings of the New Testament. And of course, agape is what we'd call unconditional love, like love without borders, love without limits. Conditional love, which we often experience and see in our world today, is, is based on a, this one word, if. If you do this, if you do that, if you look like this, if you continue to be like this, then I will love you. But but agape is a kind of love that emanates from the very character and the very nature of God himself. Agape love is hard to understand, much less do, um, from a human perspective. And I think that if you want to understand agape love, if you want to catch a glimpse of the way God loves his children, I think the best way, the easiest way to look is just to look at how a mother loves her children. Mother's Day's coming up, fellas, just FYI, kids, FYI, right? Parents, in general, love their kids. But something about the mother, because she carried that baby nine months inside of her. Come on, I don't know anybody who loves me enough to carry me for nine whole months, especially now. (laughs) Right, especially now. Like, bro, stop with the carnizada and Big Red all the time, right? I just drank a Big Red right before I walked over here, so I'm kind of jacked up a little bit on, on... All through the Bible, God compares his love for his people like a mother's love. I think it's, I think it's Isaiah 49. Let me remember it. It says, it says, can a nursing mother forget her child? And then it says a few other things. And it says that even if she could, God says, I will never forget you. And then the next verse says, see, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Isaiah 46 says, Listen to me, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried you since your birth. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he who will sustain you and carry you. Like what a beautiful, what a beautiful picture of God's love that, 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 that moms carry us for nine months uh, during the pregnancy, but then God says, I will carry you every day after. And we begin to understand the kind of love Peter wants us to add to our faith by looking at the instant agape that parents feel when they first see their children, their babies. Like immediately, you've never seen them before, but all of a sudden, something takes over you like you cannot imagine. You could never understand before that moment. That's, that's the best picture I can give you of, of agape. And, and love drenches the pages of Scripture throughout from front to back. And so, so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that if we possess every other spiritual quality or power, but we lack love, then all of the rest of it is meaningless. It's worthless, he says. And then Peter says that above everything that we're supposed to love each other dearly or, or deeply. And then John says that, that, that love is the sign that we've been born again, that we've been born from God, that we belong to God, and that we've crossed from death into life because of that. And then he says, God is, is love. And then, and then Jesus says that our love for others in John 13, 34, he says that our love for others is the clearest evidence that we're actually his followers. Not, not being here today or reading the scriptures, which are all wonderful, but the clearest evidence 
that I'm a follower of Jesus is the love that I demonstrate for other people. The, 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 the idea, of course, is that this, this quality that Peter says we're supposed to add, it's a pretty important one. Agape chooses to love. You have to catch this. It's a choice, agape. is. It's a choice to love, not just before a warm, healthy, good emotion comes, but sometimes in spite of other emotions that would come naturally. Agape loves in the face of betrayal. It loves in the face of rejection. It loves in the face of even abandonment or all sorts of bad things that might occur. It, it, will, it wills love even when circumstances would necessitate, uh, um, would, 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 in, would trigger anger or withdrawal or feelings of revenge. Agape, I read this one time and it made so much sense to me. Agape often builds its house in the ruins of relationships. I, I wrote this little note to myself yesterday, and I just want to read it to you because I think it matters for somebody. I, I would say that one of the greatest um, tests to your faith, to that foundation of all of this, will come not from a perceived failure on God's part, but, but on an actual failure or hurt that you've had to deal with from somebody that you've admired in the faith, somebody that you had devoted yourself to, right? So, someone you trusted in the faith, maybe it was a parent or a friend or a mentor or a pastor or a leader or spouses when they fail, when they fall, and that seems to happen more and more in our day. When, when they disappoint us or hurt us, this can cause more damage to faith than almost any other thing, which is why I think that the writer of Hebrews said that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, not people. Because people let us down. I let me down. We let each other down. But Jesus doesn't. And, and, but it's in those moments of, of failure and faltering that we have to choose, that we have to will agape love. We love people who failed us. We've, we love people who've fallen short of our expectations. We give per love, particularly in those moments when it's so hard to do so. That's what agape love is all about. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So agape then is a because of love, or, or, or rather, it's not a because of love. It's an in spite of love. Like if you've gone to church at any point in your life, then you've heard this, you've heard agape talk a lot. Uh, many, many years ago, I read a book by a pastor named Mark Buchanan, and he has an idea in there, and he sparked, he sparked this book sparked this series for me in my, in my head. But, but he, said, he said agape is unprovoked love. Now, strange to say that, because when we think about unprovoked, we often think of violence, like somebody had an unprovoked attack on somebody. Some nation did an unprovoked attack on another nation. So we think about it in a negative sense, but, but think about it in the opposite direction, uh, unprovoked love. So think about it from the, the perspective of the Good Samaritan. You remember this story? A man's going from Jerusalem uh, to Jericho. Some thieves set up on him, unprovoked. They attack him, and they leave him there for dead, right? But the Samaritan comes along. The Samaritan comes along and an, un, an act of unprovoked love reverses an act of unprovoked violence. That, that love, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. So, so agape is 
unprovoked love, Mark Buchanan says, it seeks those who never saw it coming, who never had it coming, who never even sought it out. It shows up unannounced, unexpected, and undeserved. It finds us in a ditch and at great personal cost and great personal risk without reward lifts us up and mends our wounds and finds us shelter, all unprovoked. Agape love. And God wants us to love in the way that is demonstrated by the story of the Good Samaritan. I I said earlier that Philadelphia, brotherly affection, is loving what or who God loves. Agape, unprovoked love, is loving as God loves. This, again, is not is not natural. That It's not something we can do naturally. This is when we participate again in the divine nature. We read about in verse 4. And, and when I think of where this kind of love is needed most in our world right now, I think about it in three terms. What Jesus would call the least of these, Matthew 25. But also not just the least of these, but what we, what we would consider the most of these. And then, then I would argue for a third one, which is the most different of these. The least of these, the most of these, and the most different of these. So, so the least of these would be the people or the person, the, 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 the people group that you're least likely to notice because of your pace of life or your hurry or your competitiveness or maybe even our own selfishness. It's easy to ignore and rush past the least of these people which is why we have to pray, God, help me see people the way you see them. And then help me to love people the way you love them. I remember Louis Giglio said years ago that if I would pray, God, let your heart beat, start beating inside of my heart, then it will break my heart and, and propel me out of our comfortable existence into the, into the world where people love, need love, and, and, and they need help, and they need the grace of God, right? Agape strips away our sense of superiority. It will push us beyond ourselves into places we might not ordinarily go. And I've seen so many of you through the years serving in, in, in all over the city in places that you wouldn't ordinarily go and you're doing it because you want to show people the, the, the love of God. And one of the first signs that it's being born in us, agape love is being born in us, is that we start to care for those whom without love we're, we're tempted to ignore or even trample. Jesus says that these are the least of, them, of, of these. The, the prisoners, the refugees, the homeless per- person or woman, right? Like orphans in other places that we would never even know that were there were it not for us seeking out them, right? And, and Jesus says that the, limit, the litmus test of of whether or not we're a follower of Jesus is that we actually do this. In Matthew 25, go read it. He says that you, you gave water in my name. You visited me when I was in prison. You, you gave me clothes. You gave me food. You gave, you gave a, a water to drink in my name. Jesus says when you do this, this is how people are going to know that, that you're my disciples. But, but agape doesn't stop with the least of these. It also goes to the most of these. And this is a much harder one, I think. To love people who get what we think we should have. To love people and to celebrate people who maybe even on our own, in our own job place, who get the promotion we thought we deserved, to, to love the person who, who seems to succeed at so many things that it leaves us feeling invisible in their presence. Romans 12 again, Paul says in verse 15, 
that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. This is what brothers and sisters do. And I think, I think in my life, I've seen that it's easier to mourn with those who mourn than to celebrate those who are celebrating. In fact, I think it's very difficult for so many people um, to rejoice with those who rejoice, particularly when they're getting something that we thought we wanted. And so we love, agape love helps us not only to love the least of these, but to celebrate with, to rejoice with, to mourn with those who are the most of these. We've said that agape love is unprovoked love. That's only half true. In God, it's unprovoked. But in you and I, it's God who provokes us to it. So, so 1 John 4 and 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And then look at this, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, the love of Christ, what? It compels us. It, it's, it's, going, it's pushing us. It's going, come on. Let, let's, let's do this, right? And, 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 and so the way that we come to this, the way that we come to this agape love, I think most importantly, I could give you 10 reasons how or why. The, the reason that's most important is that we, we begin to understand how great the love of God is towards us personally. So, so Romans 5, 5 says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been, say this with me, has been poured out, right? Poured into our hearts, like not, not dripped into our hearts, not, 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 not stingily given to us, but poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, right? That, that love, that agape love that we've received is the only thing that can, can propel us to love other people who are, who are the least of these or the most of these or the most different of these, right? That kind of love has been poured out into our hearts. And, 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 and when we understand God's great love for us, when we truly get it, it's so powerful that it can enable us to love people that we would not naturally love. In, in fact, I just want to read this. I just added this a moment ago. I, I love this text, Ephesians 3. I pray, Paul's praying for the people that he pastors. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may, God may strengthen you with, with power through his spirit in your inner being, right? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. May, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. He's praying, I just pray that you'll be able to grasp it, that you'll be able to take hold of this knowledge of how, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Like it, it, we, we, don't, we don't even know how to know it. Th- that you may be filled you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That something happens when we are filled with the fullness of the measure of God's love for us. That when, we, when, we, when we're not walking around insecure or fearful or afraid or prideful, that we just walk in the love that God has given us. Paul's praying this, that something happens when, we, when, when, when that kind of love, we're so full of God's love that it emanates from us by his spirit. So how great is the love of God towards us? I just want to finish there. John says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And the verse isn't finished there. And it says, and that is what we are. 
very children of, of God. So that means that there's nothing that I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing that I can do, think about this, that can make God love me less. He loves me because agape is a choice. Because God chose to love me. He loves me even when I am unlovable. Again, Romans 5, 8. But God, not only, lo- not only does he lavish, not only does he pour out his love on us, but he demonstrates his own love for us. And this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I, I don't think it's possible to love the least, the most, the most different of us if we don't first see ourselves the way God saw us when he first found us. Like if I can't comprehend how very much I needed God's love, if it's not just an absolute miracle to me how much God loves me, then I don't think I'll be able to get to the place where I can just sort of freely give it out. I I don't know what you see when you think about God, if you try to picture him. But, but what we should see, I think, is seen in what we know of Jesus from the Gospels, the face of Jesus Christ, a God who loves so deeply, so, so authentically that he went to the extremes of leaving the comforts of heaven where he was worshiped 24-7 to come to this earth where he faced rejection and humiliation and crucifixion and, and death and separation and, and, and mutilation for every one of us. The, the same God who says that he was not willing that anybody would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's what your Bible says. The, the same God who helped people like me, lacking in faith, that he would make up the gap for them. The, the same God who saved a murdering bandit while he was on the cross himself. The same God who, who got closer to the tree that the too short Zacchaeus was in, who got in between an adulterous woman and her lynch mob. I told you that brotherly kindness is, is, God, is, is, is near, it's close. But in God, it's just a whole other level that God came down to be with us, to get in between us and and. The, the, the choices that we'd made and, and, and the people looking to harm us. This is the story of, of the Bible. That God comes looking to save, looking to help, looking to heal. Why? Because of his great love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe, would trust, would put faith in, will not perish but have everlasting life. And when I put the New Testament together and I reflect on the nature of God, I see a God who loves humanity so much that he will go to any extreme to save us. His nature, not looking for ways to banish or bust or punish. That's the outcomes he's so desperately trying to avoid. And the bottom line is all of you, me, we all needed a break. We needed a father. We needed a savior. 
We needed a friend. And that's what we find in God. L- listen to me, because I, I don't know your story, but I know my story. When I've, when I've fallen short of his plan for my life, still he loves me. And, and when I've promised to do something or to stop doing something, but, but I failed, his love never fails. And when I've asked for forgiveness, to, only to go back and do the things that I asked for forgiveness of, still he loves and offers mercy and grace. Why? Because God loves us that much. He loves you simply because he's chosen to do so. He loves you when you don't feel lovely. He loves you when it seems like nobody else loves you. Others may abandon you, break up with you, divorce you, ignore you, or leave you, but God will always love you and God will never leave you no matter what. This last verse from the message paraphrase, I'll call nobody's and I'll make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and I'll make them be loved. In in the place where they were yelling out, you're a nobody, they're now calling you God's living children. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. So I pray, God, let us be filled with the fullness of the love of God that we might realize the great lengths, the great depths that you came to to save us. And I pray, along with Paul, that that we be rooted and established in love, that we would realize the, the great heights and the great depths and the great lengths and the great width of the love of God in Christ Jesus. For every person who's ever felt unloved, for every person who's ever felt like a nobody, for every person who's ever walked in insecurity or shame or whatever, may they leave this room knowing at least one thing, that you love them so very much. God, as we enter this holy week, and God, as we reflect on what you came here to accomplish on this week, that, that Hosanna, that cry, which just means God save us. God save us. Hosanna, God save us. That we would also make that our prayer. God save us. God enter into our loneliness. God enter into our hurt. God enter into the wounds of our life and, 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 and the shame of our life. God save us. We pray. We pray. And I pray every person in this room and every person watching or listening online, that they would leave here knowing how great the Father's love is for us, that he has lavished upon us, that we are his children. We are his kids. Thank you for the word of the Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.